Welcome to episode 25 of the Strength Ratio Podcast. I'm Zachary Greenwald here with Kyle Klachenko and Eric Soboliski. Today we are talking about supplements. The good, the bad, the ugly, uh, the science behind it, and what you can walk away from as knowing that you're spending, if you do choose to take supplements, uh, the best bang for your buck. Now, if someone said in the past, I'm not going to try to say it better, especially if this person was so ballistic himself, but we have a blog post that we'll link in the show notes and Sobo highlights that first and foremost, a supplement is meant to be something added to an already balanced diet. So if the diet sucks, the supplements are going to do you no good. Uh, psychologically, you may try to improve the diet uh, or think that you are becoming healthier in your diet by supplementing and putting the supplement at the top of this hierarchy of being healthy with your food that you may have in your mind, but that certainly is not the case. This is something that you are going to supply your body with uh, that is secondary to your main dietary uh, preferences and, and habits. It's also important to note that Supplements are not regulated by the FDA or any governing body. So that's to say that what's on the label may or may not be in there. You have to be very careful when taking supplements, especially around drug-tested events. Um, sometimes you hear about these false positives and we're quick to say, yeah, well, you know, I'm sure that person's uh, in the know and that they're very well aware that they're doping. But, you know, enough false positives actually come up where the person, the athlete, namely, wasn't aware that there was something in their uh, supplement, whether it was a pre-workout or protein that they were unaware of for varying reasons. So we're going to start off and Eric's going to introduce supplements on the whole and why you might want to take them. And then we're going to get into specific sports supplements and the science that we currently have available to back them. So without further ado, Sobo, do you want to just start off with how you like to talk about supplements to your students? So you, you touched on it very well that you do not want to make the supplements the focus of your diet program. You know, some people think I can have a horrible diet, but then take a few pills and everything is going to be okay. Our bodies don't work like that. Food isn't digested and absorbed like that. Think about if you throw a lot of stuff at your body, only some of it's going to stick. But if you throw it in bits and pieces, it sticks a little better to your body. It gets in your body a little better. So if you throw in, oh, I haven't had my, I've only had, you know, 60 grams of protein today and I need to get 100 in. So I'm going to go take a 40 gram protein shake and just chug it so I get my, my 60 grams of protein in for the day. Majority of that protein is not going to be absorbed because it just, can't handle your GI tract, just can't handle 40 grams of protein coming at it all at once. Can you over time get to that level? Yes, you can. You, there's studies out there that show that a slow increase in overload of protein, you can end up absorbing more protein than the standard 20 grams. But if you just throw it at you all at once, it doesn't really work. So that's kind of what supplement companies try to get you with is this all inclusive, one drink, one stop pill. You know, too much of something, your body is only going to absorb what it can at that given time. So when you think supplementation, you got to think this is just 
a small addition to an already balanced diet. So, you know, a lot of supplements should be used when you have, you don't have the convenience of a meal. You just left the gym and you can't go make your meals or you, you know, can't eat a whole meal 20 minutes after, you know, exercise, but you still want to get food in you. It's real easy to eat a bar or a protein shake. So they should be used in the appropriate situation, not just because I am missing something in my diet and supplements are going to just make up for it. Yes, some of most of our diets nowadays aren't completely balanced. Um, I was just at a conference up in um, Minnesota this weekend, last weekend, and they talked about the iodine imbalance in Western diets now because iodine is a, is a is a molecule that really helps our thyroids um, do what they do. And if you guys, if you've ever looked at some of the old salt packets, that says salt with iodine. What we see is there's metabolism issues if we don't get iodine in our system. Well, we've been so scared of salt for the past 10 years. No one's eating salt anymore and we're not getting iodine. So you should, if you don't eat a lot of salt or you don't eat foods with iodine, you know, have high iodine content, that might be something you supplement with. Once again, you just don't go out and pound eight iodine pills. It's usually found in a multivitamin. But these are things that you have to consider when you're supplementing. It's not just somebody you know told me at GNC or somebody at the gym says I need to get 180 grams of protein. The only way I can do that is if I drink six protein shakes a day. That's not the way our bodies work. It'd be awesome if it did because we could all just live off of uh, protein shakes every day. So, I mean, it'd be easy just to drink your food every meal and call it a day, but it just doesn't quite work that way. So first thing first, balanced diet, meet your caloric intake with, you know, real wholesome foods because your GI tract slows down, you absorb the foods, they get into your system. That's the best way to do it. If you need, if you are deficient and, you know, think about deficiency is can you physically eat enough food to get your protein in? If you are a, a lifter and you know you need, you know, kind of the, the U.S. system is about one uh, gram of protein per pound. If you can get to that by your daily diet, there's really no need for a protein shake. If you can, if you can't get there, you know, protein shakes, meal bars can help replace that. But solid whole foods is probably the best because our, our GI tract's designed to absorb food that way, not just 40 grams of protein in one scoop. And something that I want to touch on as a bridge to this next point before we dive into literature on specific sports supplements is that when you see uh, a, an ad for getting ripped or an ad for bulking, just know that the supplements aren't your ticket to getting there. We're not talking about um, dieting today or major nutritional principles today, but just know that when you see those ads, if you want to lose body fat, your summation of calories have to put you in a deficit, and if you want to add muscle, you have to be in a caloric surplus. Uh, no amount of advertising around supplements is going to change that for you, though that's where the marketing is headed as you, for you as the consumer. Uh, so just want to make that very clear, there is no real trying to work around that. Um, I think we're all in, in ex all in agreement upon that. Uh, before we dive into the details of the supplements, we want to first address limitations to the studies that we may address or that way that we may be relying on. Uh, 
limitations to studies around supplements and Sobo, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, are similar to limitations that we find in exercise science across the board. And that might be the uh, power of the study. So the effect size, the sample size, how many subjects are actually in the study, the length of the study, the population actually involved in the study. Are they uh, your trained individual who's very much unlike the average uh, American or if you're a foreigner, just know that you guys are your average population is probably healthier than ours in the States. Uh, but these limitations are very important to understand uh, before we start diving into these averages. Remember, at the end of the day, with scientific literature, especially on exercise, it's a new field. We are looking at averages. There are outliers. Uh, before I turn it over to Sobo, Kyle, you want to make your presence known or, or chime in? Uh, no, I think we should go into that first, and uh, I have some thoughts, but they'll probably come in later on. Okay, great. So, Sobo, if you want to pick, and, and I don't want people to walk away thinking, uh, okay, we'll hear all of these half-truths around supplements. Maybe we start with, are there supplements now that you would have maybe said yes to, or maybe that today you would say absolutely no to, so that people know okay, well, I can at least save my money here. Um, if you think absolute no's, really anything that claims something outrageous is probably an absolute no. And, you know, me being from the scientific world and understanding um, kind of more of the science behind it, and, and most people who are a little naive in the science probably don't, don't get this, is you got to understand what the actual physiological mechanisms that will cause these adaptations. So, you know, you think, oh, this is going to help me lose weight. Well, how does it make you lose weight? Oh, it increases your metabolism. Well, there's only a few ways you can increase your metabolism, and there's nowhere it says a pill does that. So if it has an outlandish claim like you mentioned earlier, probably not going to be the mechanisms that are going to cause change. I, You know, you think about – um, some of the big ones we were talking about this, the pre-show, um, is HMB. That's a very expensive supplement. You know, sometimes, you know, if you want the supposed pure stuff, it's 40 to 50 bucks a bottle. Um, probably not worth, worth your money. And I say probably, I mean, probably not at all worth your money. Um, but there's some, the solid, true supplements that work that have been tried and proven and not just proven in one study of cycling on elite cyclists going up a hill in Norway twice. You know, it's, it's got to be proven in multiple studies. And those two really, there's only really two that have been proven time and time again. Yes, there's some studies that say they don't work, but the majority of the literature, and you're talking 50 plus, you know, research, you know, studies on them is creatine. Creatine does work. And if you think about the physiological mechanisms of creatine, if you go back to one of our, you know, talks about metabolism, you need that for creatine phosphate to rephosphorylate ATP. So that's what it does. It doesn't build muscle. It just gives you the, the capacity for more ATP, which then allows you to train a little bit harder, a little bit longer then you can build muscle. So the, the physiological background and rationale for that makes sense. So that's a, you know, tried and proven and true one. Problem with that is, some of us are what we call non-responders to creatine because we already produce enough creatine in our body or we get it from our diet and our body has a threshold 
Um, so we need about five grams a day to be pretty ac adequate in our supply of creatine phosphate. So if you're low, supplementing will help. If you're high and above average, your supplementation is probably not going to help. But we don't know that. You probably don't know that unless you try it. So I usually tell everybody try it. If you feel a difference and you know you think it's working, it probably is. Um, you think you can go a little bit longer on, on you know a erg or a little bit you know longer on a run. It's probably working, but if it's not working, you're probably already topped off and you don't need to spend your another, you know, cycle on that. And you, you don't have to cycle on that. You can just stay creatine. You can just keep on taking forever at that five grams a day dose. So creatine works. Um, the next big one is just caffeine. And that's kind of, you guys should all just say, no, duh, I drink 40 cups a day. Every time. So um, can we ask, yeah, yeah. Sobo? Yeah. That's creatine question. Yeah. Before we get to caffeine. Uh, well, I, I had two. Uh, one, you mentioned that a lot of people you can get in your diet, so the supplementation might not be beneficial. But what would be some foods that would provide adequate creatine uh, in your diet? And then is there potentially a uh, better way to tell if you're a responder? Because um, I you mean a little less subjectively? Yeah, a little less subjectively. Uh, or is it just really like you kind of have to see if you get performance increase. Um, because one way I had uh, often people when they first start taking it, they gain some weight and then sometimes that weight goes away after two weeks, but that initial weight gain could be an indicator I've heard before. Uh, but yeah, first starting with what would be the potentially in your diet would provide enough. So if, if you're a meat eater, it's found in every meat, um, fish, chicken, beef, pork. So if you eat meat on a regular basis, it's found in eggs too. So if you're a big kind of a, a carnivore, if, if you will, you're getting, you should be getting plenty. I mean, one steak has enough creatine in it to, to supplement you. Um, but if you're not a big, if you're not a big meat eater or you eat really lean meats and you don't, you don't eat a lot of it, you might be deficient. Um, so you just think, you know, if I eat a lot of meat, I should be okay. Um, so that's kind of the, a way that we get a lot of it in our diet. Our bodies naturally produce it. So sometimes you might just be a naturally a high producer of creatine. And so you don't even need a supplement because your body's already doing a great job as it is. Or your body might be just the opposite. And even though you're eating a lot, you still might be under producing it. So the supplementation may help. So it's kind of there's like a couple different boxes you can fall into with, with how you get it and if you actually need the supplement. Um, the second thing is, you know, the weight gain is kind of an indicator if you work, because if the osmotic properties behind creatine, it once it gets absorbed with, by the cell, it pulls water in with it, and then therefore you have a little water retention. It's like one or two pounds, maybe three pounds of water weight gain. So if you're not too up on your weight, if you don't weigh yourself every morning at the same time or every night at the same time, and you just weigh yourself one day and then you weigh yourself the next day, I mean, your weight fluctuates anywhere between two and five pounds a day. So you have no idea if it's working or not, unless you have a steady kind of measurement of what your weight is. So, and then uh, my, my other question is just creatine. You said that you may or may not be a responder. Does the wealth of literature, cause I think you you brought up a great point. Sometimes people will be confused with supplements and even with just any, I think fitness type of advice because they'll see one article uh, and not really understand the context behind it, that article may uh, support a hypothesis for, and they might see the next day uh, a study published that uh, proves quite the opposite. So 
what you mentioned with understanding the wealth of knowledge, and maybe we can talk more about examine.com as being a, a credible source, or if you know others, uh, for people to go to find this wealth of information, I think that's important. But speaking of that wealth of knowledge, uh, does it speak to about how many in 10 people might respond to creatine, or is that less clear at the time? Traditionally, in the studies, it's anywhere between 30 and 50% are non-responders. So 30% of the population, creatine does absolutely nothing for. I could take, I'm a non-responder, so I could take, you know, 7,000 grams of creatine a day and I do absolutely nothing. I don't gain weight. I don't gain water. I don't see anything. But for 70% of the population, give or take 70 to 50% of the population, they actually will see something. And it, once again, it's all dependent on what your baseline levels of creatine are. So if you're, if five is the, is the threshold and you're at four, that one gram might help you. If you're at two, you might see better results. Is this why you studied it in school? Because you were sad to <laughs> not be a responder? Oh, I studied it to figure out why I wasn't a responder. And we found out that in my study we had, we were about 50%. So about 50% of my subjects of 48 were, so actually 24. I had, of my 24 people who were actually given creatine, I had 48 and 24 were given a placebo. Of the, of the 24 that were given creatine, I only had about 50% that were responders. So, you know, and you know, if I look at means, 50% is not statistically significant. I would have to kind of do some more, you know, some, some Bayesian, some higher crazy statistics to kind of show that it does work. If you separate the population to the responders, then if you're a responder, then you'll see positive results. So it's kind of a, kind of a, a kind of a game you have to play and i always say creatine monohydrate is super cheap i think you can get the pills for like 12 bucks on amazon or even cheaper and i mean 12 bucks is worth to see if it works for you if it doesn't work don't spend any more money on it it's not like it's a 150 dollar investment and um i had just one more uh question before moving on to caffeine is um i remember i uh, read a, uh, a, a write-up uh, from, I believe it's the International Society of Sports Nutrition, ISSN, I think. Yep. Yeah. Um, and they actually said that there's some emerging studies talking about potential uh, mental health slash capacity benefits from creatine, mm -hmm. uh, helping, helping that out as well. you want to speak to that? Yeah. So that's, that's it's interesting. You know, it's kind of a, a interesting talk about what creatine does. Creatine is one of the few substances in our body that freely crosses the blood-brain barrier. Whoa, what does that mean? <laughs> so as blood enters the brain, there's – and the easiest way to say it, there's kind of a filter. And we don't want stuff going from our bloodstream into the nervous system, into our cells and our brain that shouldn't be there. So it never, it never gets diffused through the capillaries in our brain. It gets trapped in our cells. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of protein molecules are one. Protein can't cross the blood-brain barrier. It has to be broken down into, you know, very specific amino acids. Um, fat can't cross the blood-brain barrier. That's why our brain doesn't really run off of lipids. Ketone bodies cross the blood-brain barrier, but not fat molecules. So there's kind of this filter that allows stuff into our brain from our blood that should be there. Some drugs, so it, some drugs that we use for for psychometric drugs. That's the big thing: is how can we get a 
a drug to help with some type of mental illness into our brain if our blood's never going to or our brain's never going to accept it from our blood. So creatine is naturally found in our body. It naturally crosses the blood brain barrier because our brain goes through, you know, goes through the phosphagen system and rephosphorus ATP with creatine. So there's some benefits of using creatine because it actually gets in the brain and can actually work in, you know, cognitive function. And some people say even some recovery from concussion, because if our body, if our brain is trying to heal from concussion and it needs energy, creatine phosphate is a great source of it. Is this purely theoretical at this point, experimental, clinical? I would say it's a mix between experimental and theoretical because we really can't dissect your brain. So what we do is they'll do scans and MRI scans to say, oh, look, pre and post creatine supplementation, these areas are more active. So it's kind of like, okay, but what does that more active actually mean? Does it mean it's working? Does it mean it's just there's more activity following creatine supplementation? So before we go on to creatine or caffeine, which I think we've said four times now, uh, you mean to tell us that there may be a 50% chance that you don't respond to it and that your supplementation won't, I should say, uh, uh, kind of make you healthier in in the absence of a a healthy diet. That sounds uh, very contradictory to what the marketing says. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the marketers will sell you about anything they can. So you cannot listen to, you know, a marketer. You can't listen to a normal, you know, person trying to sell you stuff that's from, you know, a supplement company because their ultimate goal is to sell you something. And they they are kind of preying on you because they know that you're probably not going to say, oh, wait, let me go check the literature. Let me pull up you know, Google Scholar or some, you know, website that I can trust and actually see if this works. You're just going to say, oh, this guy seems credible. This guy's a four-time world champion. He seems credible. I'll take whatever he's on, you know. You can just keep coming back to our podcast. That would be one way. Uh, You can go to examine.com. Examine uh, basically takes all the literature and synthesizes it, uh, speaking back again to that wealth of knowledge, not just one study of those Swiss Alpine inclined bike racers. Um, but examine.com is a really good one. And maybe after this podcast, uh, just so you know, we're not lying. You can go there, do some fact checking on our end. Um, but let's now, without further ado, go into caffeine. Uh, what is the latest evidence saying about caffeine? So, Well, caffeine works. It may not work in the same capacity that you think it does or people think it does. It doesn't help you lose weight. It's not a weight loss drugs. It is a stimulant at its best. So it it increases, you know, arousal increases your sympathetic nervous system. And then at that point with an an alert or a higher arousal, therefore you can do more things. If your, if your body is more alert and more aroused, you can lift weights a little bit better. You can run a little bit better. You can stay awake a little longer. So it's not like I take this pill and all of a sudden my metabolism is going to shoot through the roof and I'm going to burn 9,000 extra calories a day. Yes, your body's more aroused, but it's not, you know, I can take caffeine and sit on the couch and it's not like I'm burning 80 more calories a day just by, you know, drinking caffeine. And so it's, it's always taken in, you know, especially with supplements, it's to supplement your, your diet to allow for you to do something that you want to do. So yes, I'm lethargic when I go to the gym at six o'clock in the morning, I need to pick me up. Caffeine helps me with that pick me up. It's not going to help me lift more weights, but 
it may help me lift more weights compared to if I was still sleeping and yawning when I'm underneath the bar compared to when I'm alert. So that's kind of the, the effect. It's more like a, like a psychological drug to help you be more alert actually than I, it's actually improving my performance. Is there um, any difference between it being more effective for endurance or strength training? It's, it's about equal. I mean, some of them have showed that you can and it can help with endurance, but only for short-term endurance. I mean, if you're doing a, a, a three-hour bike ride, you know, caffeine's not going to be able to arouse you and keep you going for three hours. So shorter endurance, 5K is kind of the limit. So about 20-minute period where that arousal will get you at least going. Weightlifting is actually showed more promising because – you know, hopefully you're in the weight room and you're not sitting underneath a bar for, for 40 minutes. You can, you know, get kind of, you know, awake and, and ready to go. It helps you do that. You're focused, you squat, you're good to go. So weightlifting shows a little bit more, but just because it doesn't, you know, you, the time course is a little bit less. I mean, caffeine's going to eventually get out of your system. Yeah, I've heard it uh, is about six hours that the effects are totally gone. Yeah, give or take on on your system, but it can last up to six hours. But it does peak within twenty to thirty minutes after taking it, and it has kind of like a slow burn to it ends. And some people, it just depends on how your body metabolizes um, caffeine. It could, you know, some people can take caffeine and it makes them go crazy for thirty minutes and then they crash, or some people take it and they're wired for eight hours. And it just kind of depends on you yourself as a person taking it, how long you've been taking it, the dosage you're taking. I mean. Three espressos will mess anybody up, but somebody who's been taking three espressos their whole life, probably not going to, you know, hurt them too bad. And then have you ever heard the argument against maybe always taking like a pre-workout or, or caffeine for in terms of like fatigue management? Because sometimes, like you said, it can allow you to do things that you may have otherwise not, and it may actually push you past your limits. Uh, what do you think about especially, that? Especially if uh, – I don't want to say mechanistically, but uh, physiologically, there's no change. It's just like almost tricking your yeah. uh, your alertness. Yeah, I, the, the the cautionary tell with taking caffeine is your body gets used to it. So the same dosage isn't going to help you hit that same arousal level as you did before. So if you're if you get so trained and stuck on it, you just got to keep taking more. So it's kind of like. A need-based approach, I would I would recommend. If you need coffee, take it, or you need caffeine, take it, but don't make it an everyday. I need this before I work out. I need my rip fuel post. I need my rip fuel power workout shake. Jack three D. That was popular back when. Is, is that still around? It's illegal. I think it killed a bunch of people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, that's crazy. Is arousal the word they use in the literature rather than alertness? You get, you'll see both, just depending on kind of what this what they're trying to to point on. Alertness, arousal, kind of synonymous with each other as far as it's more like a ten year old brain in me. Because uh, I think if people come into the podcast twenty minutes in, we'll hear a lot about arousal and yeah, well, they might think of something a little bit more uh, rated R when they think arousal. This is not. This is not. Um, ED medicine. Yeah, they had um, uh, a recent study as just a break from supplementation and talking about the other kind of arousal is that they had a, a study looking at leg strength in uh, adult males uh, to see if um, sexual intercourse improved uh, leg strength. 
and they found this that the next day, right? the next day, they found that there was no statistical significance, and they acknowledged that a limitation to the study was that wow. this was dependent dependent upon uh, accurate reporting of having they said having completed the action of sexual intercourse. <laughs> so uh, that that may be a podcast uh, down the road when we've accumulated more data and maybe more honest uh, uh, reporting around that. But uh, we're going to keep talking about arousal as it pertains to uh, okay. sports supplements. Yeah, well, yeah mental arousal, <laughs> not um, uh, body part specific arousal. Yeah. Uh, did you know that study came out? We're doing, we're, we're studying all of the all of the important things these days, Sobo. Yep. Got to got to figure it out. <laughs> all right. So, uh, anything more that you'd like to t- uh, talk about? before uh, we leave caffeine, perhaps for some other supplements that people probably have in their gym bag, maybe uh, like branch chain amino acids, or uh, if people at home are curious about fish oil or multivitamin more for health purposes. Okay. Yeah. We, we, I'm good with, with going into some of those. I mean, ca- caffeine works. You build up a tolerance to it. Cycle, only take it when you need it. Don't make it a crutch of your workout. Don't be one of these people who needs to be on Jack 3D before every workout. You know, if you if you're sluggish that day, you've had a long day at work, or it's six o'clock in the morning, you got two hours of sleep. Yes, caffeine may work, may help you, but don't make it a crutch to make you work out. That's kind of the the take home message. Well, the Jack 3D did taste good. They had a strawberry. Yeah, they had a good blueberry or raspberry or something too. Yeah, the HMB ones did too. Um, so funny. Uh, Funny story, uh, uh, college kids are now trying to recreate Four Loco from back in the day oh dear. by putting uh, scoops of C4 into the oh, uh, Four Locos. So now it's the same. Are Four Loco, do Four Locos still have alcohol in them? They do, but they used to also have like 300 milligrams of caffeine. Of caffeine. So now they're replacing the caffeine with C4. Yeah. People because, will die. Yeah, because they got, they were, it was illegal. Wow. So now it's just alcohol. College. <laughs> uh, that's crazy. Uh, so, but let's move on to. Um, BCAAs and beta alanine. Those were the other two that I think people might have in their bag. And, and uh, we'll get to the fish oil multivitamins later, but let's start with those two. Should they stay in the gym bag? Should they be gone? What are your thoughts? Or what is the research? Well, research saying? is saying that branch chain amino acids, the hype is kind of not built up. And I told you that the supplements have to stand the test of time. So there was a few supplement studies early um, that said branch chain amino acids are great they do a good job they're the precursors to you know muscle building and muscle growth and so you got to take them and the research is basically saying now it's just some form of protein that has you know leucine and isoleucine in it doesn't have to be branched chain amino acids doesn't even have to be a protein powder just you know protein in general in any form does help build muscle so it's not like oh if i take four scoops of branched chain amino acids before i work out my recovery is going to be better. It's, you know, it's, there's no real research to say that that's any better than just a normal protein shake or a protein bar, or, you know, even just eating some chicken or something before a piece of beef jerky. I don't know. Um, so there's really no effect to like prove or show that branched chain amino acids are superior to just general protein. And, and this is quite contradictory, even dating back like, Five eight years ago, right? Yeah, I mean, not country, emerging uh, uh, literature. Yeah, I mean, so early studies, you know, when you compare, you know, branched chain amino acids to nothing, of course, it's going to look better. 
but then it's like, do you know, what is branched genome amino acid? They're really just, you know, small protein molecules. Well, what about just protein? And they're like, wait a minute. It's really shown you that you just need some protein in your system. So, you know, the early research was stacked in favor of branched chain amino acids. And now as the literature keeps comparing it to, you know, double blind studies and, you know, equal amounts of this and this and this, it's kind of, you know, washing out that it's really not that key. I think a lot of pre-workouts and a lot of workout drinks started throwing branched chain amino acids in it as a cool catch word and saying, wait, this, this one study showed that BCAs are better than nothing. Well, you know, sometimes anything's better than nothing, you know, to get the placebo effect. And is this kind of, uh, this is for any situation, correct? So strength, endurance, long endurance, yeah. things like that. Some, some protein would be, would be better. Yeah. Protein is better than nothing. Branched chain amino acids are better than nothing, but protein and branched chain amino acids are the same. So if you, if you like your branched chain amino acids and you don't want to have a protein shake, it's this easier. You know, I always used to like to take them because they're, you know, they make them in like fruity flavors and your protein shakes are usually in chocolate and vanilla. Um, so you love your, yeah, you can get yeah. your, you can get your, you know, fruit punch branched chain amino acids, which, you know, is the same, but with that, they upcharge you, you know, branched amino acid drink is going to be a whole lot more than a protein drink. So, yeah, you know, just, just more marketing to tell you that you need it, but you can, you can do with it or you can do without it. It's, at that point, I would say it's more preference and, you know, your cost. If you want to go out and spend 40 bucks on a tub of branched chain amino acids so you can get 15 grams of leucine or isoleucine um, before a workout, you know, you can do it. It's not going to hurt you. But economically, I would say there's other better ways, just a protein bar, I mean, beef jerky, um, you know, yogurt, all that stuff has all those same stuff in it. Now, did people attach to leucine, and hopefully we don't get too nerdy uh, on biochemistry here, but did people get attached to leucine as having this marketable, sexy supplement benefit because of the leucine threshold for protein synthesis? Yeah, it, it, it all stems to that leucine threshold and this idea that, you know, the more leucine you get, that's kind of the indicator of the mTOR pathway in building muscle. Can you just speak, uh, can you elaborate? on the, the leucine threshold and, and how that might speak again, not to supplementation, but to a diet that has an adequate or high amount of protein. So, yeah. So if you, there's a, a level of leucine in your body that you need to stimulate protein synthesis. And it's basically, it's kind of like you're, you're, you're not going to start the car unless you know you have enough gas to get to the destination. So unless the body knows there's 10 grams of leucine available, it's not going to go through protein synthesis because the last thing it wants to do is to get to step 14 of protein synthesis and be like, crap, we ran out of leucine. So you, <laughs> we forgot leucine, guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it, you have to have this minimum threshold to say, yes, I can complete, you know, protein synthesis. If I can't, I'm not going to go through with it. So as long as you have that leucine in you and you have enough of it, you're fine. It's not like all of a sudden, you know, you're going to just stop because you don't, you have too much, but if you don't have enough, then you won't be able to go through it. So the idea is if you don't, if you have a threshold, like a, a minimum threshold that you have to meet, then you might as well get that through just pure supplementation of leucine. That's it. Yeah. And it's not the leucine in your supplementation is different than the leucine in your food. Yeah, any, right? I mean, if it, it's, I mean, leucine is in, I mean, almost any meat, I mean, in different quantities, but you know, it's, it's a, a an amino acid that's in almost all 
types of protein. Yeah, and so by uh, by this point in the podcast, we might be uh, upsetting a bunch of people. I think that you might have spent a, a bunch of money for nothing. Let's see if the next supplement redeems uh, your faith in supplements. How about uh, beta alanine? Uh, <laughs> beta alanine is interesting. If you are looking at a, a vasodilator or a vasodilator or to increase the size of your capillaries and do that, it does. It does work. It will increase. It gives you what we call peristalsis, which is that tingling in your arms and sometimes your ears and feet that show that your, your capillaries are vasodilating. So it does do that. So if you look at the mechanisms that come with vasodilation of capillaries, you know, improved performance and endurance, um, some strength measurements that, that require highly more on strength endurance. The problem with this is it's artificial and your body would naturally progress to this anyways. It just does it maybe a little earlier than it would have done. So let's say you're doing a 10 minute, you know, all out bike ride, you know, on a, you know, bike or something. And your body's going to take a while for it to realize, oh, wait, my muscles need oxygen. So let's vasodilate my capillaries so that I can get more oxygen to my muscles. So there's a little bit of delay between stimulus and response from the body. If you take beta alanine, they're already dilated so that there's not that delay. So in that form, if that's what you're going for, if you're, if you're worried about some type of oxygen nutrient um, transfer because of your capillaries and your you're, you're not dilated enough, then possibly. But once again, we no one's ever said I'm my weightlifting performance was limited by my ability to dilate my capillaries. Mm -hmm. Well, and it, it seems that uh, adequate warm up, like you're saying, would get you there regardless. So there's really no reason to force it there. Almost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if you if you do what you're supposed to do for a warm up, and you've already naturally vasodilated your muscles then you're good. But yeah, yeah and, and you want that tingling feeling, you know, a lot of us like feeling. So if you like that, that tingling and that kind of that twitchiness that you get with it, that's, <laughs> that's what you're paying for. You're actually not paying for a whole lot of physiological benefit outside of uh, peristalsis. And if you take it during your warm up, it sounds, and your warm up is 10 minutes long, five minutes long, sounds like you've missed your window even yeah yeah i mean if you take wow. it, if you take it now and then you think it's going to help you you know the last rep of your two hour long workout it, it, it's useless by that point yeah just got iv like first set yeah go yeah um i mean, let, let, I mean if you think you know we're talking if you you just want you know if i mean i was just thinking that the regional is just you know, we're going on and, you know, you're between, you know, you're between events and you just kind of want a quick little pick me up and, and, you know, get that, you know, you don't have 20 minutes to do a warm up. It may, it may benefit you in that situation, but may not. So perhaps we're coming back to arousal again. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, we've been talking, you're going to move on to health. Not unless nope. you have something to say about. No, I was just going to say, Alan, we've been talking about. Yeah. No, I, we move on I think health? we should. Okay. I think we should. So um, you also, uh, I don't know if you remember this, wrote an article for us talking about a few other supplements you should take. Uh, you had mentioned uh, protein. You had mentioned creatine. 
and I believe you had mentioned branch chains at the time, but then for health purposes, you also spoke about fish oil and multivitamin. Mm -hmm. uh, your thoughts, since you wrote this article for us, uh, they, they seemed, uh, or they were deemed significant enough to perhaps have them in as uh, being supplemental to an already healthy diet. Would they still be in there? Have your thoughts changed? Has the literature changed? Well, my, my thoughts have changed not on the literature, but the the quality of the fish oil and um, your daily vitamin. So there was a study that just came out, I want to say earlier this year, I don't have it off the top of my head, that they tested some guy went to you know Walmart or CVS or somewhere and bought every multivitamin they had. <laughs> and then he took it back to his lab, an independent lab, and ran the tests on it. And they had like half of them didn't even have anything that they said was on the label. The other half had trace amounts. And then the other half either had way too much of one and nothing of the other. And then there were very few that actually met like the, the, the daily vitamin had exactly what was on the label. So, wow. I mean, and same thing with fish oil, like, you know, fish oil, you go get the cheapest fish oil you get that could be really bad, low grade fish oil. And, it's, you know, and I found out too that fish oil goes bad and it becomes rancid. Um, so if you don't use it, the shelf life on fish oil is like legit shelf life. It's not like, oh, you have a, it's expired in January. I have until February, I have until July to eat it. Like if it's expired, it probably is expired and there's no point in taking it. It's actually could be toxic to take. So, um, and, and if you want to test it, if you have fish oil, just pop the fish pill, and if it just smells like rotten fish, not fishy. I mean, they're all going to smell kind of fishy. But if it just smells rotten and bad, then you are talking the fish oil pills have gone bad. And you know, and that's where you get what they call pharmaceutical grade. Those are a little bit better quality, and it does help. I mean, it's going to help your HDLs and your LDLs and overall well being. But in order to buy, you know, pharmaceutical grade, high quality you know, fish oil pill, pills, you're going to be paying quite a penny to do it. There's not a lot of sports performance benefits, more cardiovascular health benefits. But if you're exercising already, you're probably getting those benefits too. So bang for your buck, money, not worth it. Um, if you say, you know what, I really want some of the, psycho the physiological benefits of fish oil, but I want to do it on the cheap and I'll go get, you know, the CVS brand fish oil, probably getting bad fish oil. Probably the same idea with multivitamins. You go with a cheap, you know, twelve dollars for a month fish uh, um, vitamin. You're probably not getting what's on the label, and you know, at that point, you're just paying twelve bucks to put, you know, a lot of times just trash in your body. So, with that, it's really hard because, like I, I know you said when they opened up, there's no regulation on supplements. So just because it says it's fish oil doesn't mean it's just not water in that pill or whatever they want to put in it. And just because it says it's got a daily vitamin doesn't mean it actually has a daily vitamin. Um, and plus two, you got to think about the limitations of manufacturing. So I have a giant manufacturing plant and I'm dumping, you know, this vitamin in the, in the, in the vat, this vitamin in the vat and it's mixing. Does that mean every little pill that I make from that vat is going to have the exact amount of what's in it? You know, what if, what if the, the vitamin A got stuck together 
And when they dumped it in, it, you know, stayed as a crystal. And then when they made the, when they compressed that, you know, mix into a pill, that vitamin A got stuck together. And now you just took 12,000 times the amount of vitamin A you need. Oof, that. Yeah, so I mean, there's just some, just this, you know, caveat, bang for your buck, probably not worth it unless you can find some certified ones. If you find certified fish oil and certified um, daily vitamins, they're going to be expensive. And you know, you got to weigh that. Is it worth that expense to get what you probably could already get through your, 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 your normal diet? So Zach mentioned examine.com at the beginning. Uh, another website that could be good to look at is that's uh, called lab door and it does what you just talked about. So uh, it, it goes and buys these brands and then tests them and then ranks them based on like what they actually included uh, or what's actually in the pill versus what they say. So it kind of ranks them like the best, best brands versus the worst brands. Kind of thing. Yeah. Oh man. These all seem so bleak. Like you could, these false positives could come up or false negatives rather. No false positives. Sorry. Uh, and, and all of these things just don't seem to give you that much. Uh, but it, before we, we review, uh, and just really drive home the point that you have to have a, a well-balanced diet, which I think we might all agree would include, and we said we wouldn't get into too much nutrition, but if you're at a complete loss and you don't want to be teased too much, I think we'd all agree. Some lean meats, whole grains, fruits, veggies, any other healthy fats, healthy fats. You got can't really, uh, yeah. Think of much else, but beyond that, ice cream, ice cream, uh, occasionally <laughs> balance or all the time. Uh, but yeah. in, in all seriousness though, um, the supplementation is easy. It's easy to drink a big shake. It's harder to, uh, make conscious healthy, healthy conscious decisions on a menu or to meal prep, et cetera. So just kind of know, where you're putting your efforts and if that's in line with where you're putting your money. Mm-hmm. I think that's very important to note and that supplements aren't the foundation of your hierarchy to approaching your improved performance through intake of food or liquids. There might be like 2% of the it's, 100%. It might yeah. be, it might, you might even consider having it on there entirely. So, uh, you know, if you're working uh, however many hours a week and can't squeeze in that protein, yeah, maybe a protein shake will help you. If you have to wake up, uh, in the cold uh, uh, and dark of your home gym, uh, like one of our athletes does during the winters, uh, then yes, maybe a pre-workout for arousal if it has caffeine will help. But you could perhaps save a lot of money. This would be interesting if, if people campaigned and saved money on supplements and then made a post about uh, what new gym equipment they bought. Well, I was actually thinking the money you save could even allow you to eat. Like if, you eat, if, you're, if you're stuck in a rut and you can't prep or something, you could probably save enough money to where you just could eat healthier mm. out. So yeah. like getting something Chipotle. that's yeah, something that's healthy or maybe some macronutrient breakdown um, that you could just go to the grocery store real quick and grab. That's uh, that's a lot faster than always prepping. Yeah, as opposed. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a, it's a it's a lifestyle. I mean, if you think you change a little bit of your lifestyle and go, you know, what I'm going supplement less. I mean, I'm I I will you know for our listeners out there. If you want to take the challenge, go supplement list and just be like, you know, if you're on 4 million supplements and you go supplement list, you might have some, some crazy adverse effects because you really don't know what you're coming down off of. Um, but if you know, try it. So you know what, do I really need to be spending 38 bucks a month on BCAs? Go a month without it, 
see how you feel. If nothing's really changed, you just save 38 bucks. Well, yeah, you could buy a higher quality steak or something like that. That's a once a week Chipotle meal. (laughs) We're not sponsored by Chipotle, but we could if we wanted. If only. If only. If only. Um, Yeah, just, I mean, just think about all the stuff you spend money on if you could use it to buy higher quality food or, you know, buy a gym equipment or save the money for rent, whatever you got to do. Or, you know, whatever, spend it on, on some expert training advice. Whatever. If we break this down, but see, like in all seriousness, so a uh, tub of, like how much protein do you guys, uh, how much money do you think you spend on a tub of protein? You know this, Kyle. How much do you spend? Uh, you get, and you get a good from Costco. Oh, oh, like for one bag? Yeah. 35 bucks. Okay, so if you took that out and you took out the pre-workout, that's yeah. another 30 bucks. Yeah. Um, you don't. How long was a bag last year? What's that? How long is a bag last? About a month five? and a half. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, six. I mean, and then if you're taking other stuff too, maybe like sixty. Yeah, upwards of sixty dollars a month. That that could be, uh, oh gosh, whatever you want it to be. That might yeah. be a little bit more beneficial for your uh, for your performance. Uh, are, are there any other um, uh, secrets that we've withheld? Any uh, um, mind blowing supplements that are producing like eighty percent? Uh, effect sizes that that we're just withholding entirely or maybe any promising supplements that people are kind of raising their eyebrows out so much i really there's nothing there's really nothing out there that is blowing anybody away and there's really no research out there saying anything is is a wonder drug i mean most of the research we find now is it either diminishes the the the, the love and shine of some of these supplements that kind of says wait we were in love with this and Maybe it's not quite as great as we thought it was, or you know, this was super great. Now we're kind of like, yeah, it's not super great anymore. So we've actually kind of like the test of time. Creatine's been around for thirty years now, so pretty tried and proven. If you hear something that's new and improved on the market, new and improved, and the, you know, that's that's you know not going to stand the test of time because they're they're just trying to market you, sell you, make their quick buck, and then you go back, you know. A year later, and all of a sudden, that company is gone. There's no more, you know, NO4 uh, or you know, whatever. I have a fun, I have a new one, and I won't, I won't mention the name of it. But there's a brand new energy drink mm-hmm. that just that does not just have creatine in it. It's super creatine, as a super creatine. As the label says, what do you think about why that? Did, why did we not open with super creatine? <sighs> super creatine. I mean, is it? They take a creatine molecule and merge it with a creatine molecule and make creatine molecule babies. I don't know. Um, there's different ways. I mean, there's creatine monohydrate. There's creatine um, L-ester. S- why can't we say it? Um, there's different. There's different molecules in which you bind to creatine to get it into your system. Um, and so some people call it better. There's some studies out there that look at different forms of creatine and see which one's better. Um, that still depends if your body adapts to creatine and it likes it. All three of them work if, or I think there's four now, but it just kind of, it just, if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. If it works for you, any form is going to work for you. One might get it in your system a little faster. It might, you might fill up your tank in two days rather than three days, but some of them are like, you know, they say super creatine. That's just a way for them to, you know, charge you 10 more bucks than regular creatine. If I'm being completely honest and run the risk of offending some people, which I hope I don't. It seems to me that the people who spend the most on supplements 
are also those who perhaps aren't creating the best training response that they could in the first place or are program hopping or finding these ways to fill in with the easy fixes and this might be educational entirely and totally not on them. Well, I, th I think it is because it's something that we, I feel like almost every person has done at one point. Yes, because yeah. you, you, it's like the, when you're just starting the, those yeah. memes of the, the guy, the guy who looks like he's just come out of like some, uh, some shrine and he, it's like my body is a temple. Like that's how you feel when you take supplements. But, uh, but to really just know at the end of the day that you're eating well, you have some form of progressive overload in your training. I mean, I feel like the more we know, the simpler this all gets, right? Uh, you just have to be able to know where to go for this information. So if you're listening, thank you so much for tuning in to us. Uh, if there are any questions that you have about super creatine or whatever other uh, fancy sounding supplements on the back of your label, well, if they say super anything, probably just throw them out. Uh, but definitely feel free to message us on Facebook or on Instagram. Sobo, any, any uh, concluding thoughts? Uh, before, yeah, you got, you got touched on it. I would just say a good diet and good programming and good effort in the gym is better than any supplement you could ever take. I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger worked hard, even though he was on a lot of different supplements and some illegal supplements. You still have to put the work in, there's no shortcuts in life. And I know that you know is a horrible thing to say, but muscles don't build themselves, you have to build them. Even if you give them all the protein in the world, they're not going to just replicate and become they're bigger grumpy. muscles. They don't really want to. They don't really want to budge. There was a yeah. There was yeah. a joke. Israel was on a podcast and he was called out and he said, "Why is your voice always so grumpy when you talk, it, about, talk muscle. about muscles?" He's like. Well, because they're like old men, they they like don't want to grow, and they yeah, like, oh, oh wow, why do we have, have to, to grow, do yeah. this? Oh. <laughs> and, but you know that's that's the reality. <laughs> that's the reality. Um, awesome. Uh, thanks so much, guys, for tuning in. That is all for episode twenty-five. Bye.